Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. Just, you know, really trying to highlight local restaurants, find some different places, expand some palettes here. And I think today's episode is really a great opportunity to do that. My guest today is Carlos Mendez of The Hunger Block. Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Dan. Appreciate it. Now, uh, The Hunger Block is... Um, it's, it's, it got its name because many Latin American cities have a street where locals will go to grab a quick bite, you know, just grab a meal and kind of get on the go. Um, you're a native Venezuelan. Can you kind of describe that tradition to me a little bit more and then, um, explain how the hunger block really embodies that tradition? Yeah, it's, uh. To start from the beginning, yeah, of course, I'm from Venezuela and I come. There is a main part of the city that is that street, that particular street. There's a couple in Caracas where I come from. And uh, the name is La Calle El Hambre. La Calle El Hambre is the trans, I mean, the translation is uh, the hunger block. Mm-hmm. A lot of people ask me about why the hunger block, why it is not in Spanish. Well, I wanted to kind of make people think a little bit. That was the main idea of why calling the restaurant in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to people to come and ask and, and noticing that people were kind of paying more attention and asking more and more, we ended up putting it on the menu. But in the beginning was why you guys are the hunger block. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of basically what it is. The food that we serve up there, I mean, in the, in the East surf, at, uh, the hunger block in, in Venezuela, or La Calle El Hambre is, uh, it's very soul food. Uh, it's a quick bite. It can be a hot dog, but, you know, we have our own style to make a hot dog. Mm-hmm. We, we have burgers, and we have our own style. Um, it applies them into the milkshake that is being, like, the, the boom at the restaurant. Yeah. Everybody's talking about the milkshake, and they bring the families and everything, and they ask, like, does really Venezuela has a milkshake like this? Yes, we do. I mean, we, <laughs> I grew up I grew up eating it. I grew up going to... Going to um, ice cream place that it was two-story huge building in the main uh commercial area in in caracas and the name was tutti frutti and those milkshakes i mean they were there when i was six years old mm-hmm. so one way or another we always try to kind of give a little twist to food i mean a lot of it of course is american or i mean talking about hot dogs and talking about about burgers but but yeah realistically we embrace any food and we try to kind of tweak it and make it our, our own. And uh, and that's what I try to do with, with the hunger block. Now, I think people who aren't familiar with Latin American food, when they try and picture it, their direct connection is going to be to what they know. And that's mm-hmm. going to be to Mexican. Mm-hmm. But these are different cuisines. Can you kind of describe how these are, how, how they're different, I guess? Well, it's uh, there's a lot of differences between South American Mexican. That's right. why we call ourselves Latin American. We serve a couple Mexican dishes, but we focus in South American. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give you the example. I'm going to give you a similarity before I give you a difference. But in Mexico, we use corn. Corn grows in all South America and and basically in Central America. And Everybody has a different approach, I mean, to the same product. They make tortillas in Mexico. I mean, in other countries, I mean, they do the same. In Central America, but in South America, we make arepas with it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a sandwich and oh, like I love a patty. Yeah, you're stuffing with whatever meat. So I always say that the food, the main ingredient in our uh, kitchens and in our homes is basically corn. Oh, okay. So that is something that is a similarity, but at the end, at the, at the same time, it's different. It's a, there's a difference. 
Beside that, yes, we use beans, we use rice um, on our kind of regular meals, but uh, but we season it completely different than how probably Mexicans do a lot of times. They like a spicy food. I mean, or a spicy food is really not spicy. We spice, <laughs> yeah. we spice it differently. Well, the food comes, I mean, from garlic, peppers, and onions. So uh -huh. It's very Spanish. Uh, Mexico does the same, but they add, I mean, different type of... Uh, of uh, peppers to it, which in, in South America, we really don't. There's just uh, the only country that I can bring and tell you that we that they use more like a spice, it will be um, Peru. Mm -hmm. They use different type of peppers. And yeah, but in South America, beside that country, we would say that no, we, we, we're doing it a spicy food. So that's kind of can be a, a difference. Yes, we have beans and rice, but they cook differently. We, we spice it differently. And uh, the Caribbean, it uses a lot of uh, fried plantain, fried, fried sweet plantains. That's yep. huge meaning in our culture. We have the sweet ones and we have the savory ones. That is the green plantain that we smash and put a bunch of toppings and kind of give a flavor to it. Mm -hmm. So Because, it, I mean, generally it's a very, uh, like a dry and doesn't have much flavor. Mm -hmm. Like like, a, like I would say, like a, that plantain itself. So it's uh, so that's kind of what we do. We we like to kind of spice food. I mean, bring them I in good flavors. Make sure that everything is tasty. That's kind of basically how we cook. Now, over the last couple of years, the hunger block has really caught on. I think a lot of people know about it now. A lot of people have tried it and they've become big fans of it. I'm one of those. Thank you. But I I think just because people are unfamiliar to Latin American food, was there any? trepidation when you first opened the restaurant that Omaha's because they weren't familiar with it they just wouldn't get it uh you as a restaurant tour as a restaurant owner you always ask yourself that question yeah uh, i thought the same before opening uh little España. i did it when i was running España. i did it when we opened Akron. uh you always have that question i mean in your head like that people are going to really like it people are going to go for it uh, you're pushing the envelope too much i mean sometimes yeah mm -hmm. uh, i'm going to give you a good example of this when i graduated here from school from college my project was to open a south american restaurant that was 14 years ago mm -hmm. 16 years ago and i never did i continue opening españas and those concepts and then we moved to Akron. i i always uh, wonder like uh, I always wonder what it would happen if I move along and open a South American Latin American restaurant. I didn't know if the people were gonna like it. I didn't know if the people were gonna be excited about. It. And I have to be honest with you. I mean, it's been it's been an amazing couple of years that has opened my my mind even more about different opportunities that there are. I mean, in, in Omaha, because uh, people are coming, people are coming, people are supporting, and people are liking it. I mm -hmm. mean, for me, there's not a probably a better reward than see uh, a table of Midwesterns, I mean, let's put it this way, in the best way possible, and see the whole family from a four-year-old or a five-year-old and then the parents eating an arepa. Uh, that is, that's been kind of very touch. It touched me, very, very touching to me because it's, uh, it's that moment when you realize that you're bringing something and people are, are appreciating. I mean, as a, as a restaurant owner, all you want is to serve people. That is our sacrifice. That's what motivates us to to do what we do every day. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifices. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of stress. But we do it just aiming for that, for having somebody who come to a restaurant and enjoy what you 
what you're offering. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I love that you brought that up because I wanted to bring up this quote that I found uh, that you had in an article um, in doing my research. You had a quote that said, a family of five came in and we're all eating arepas. And I almost cried seeing it as this was the food I ate as a kid. Like, how proud does it make you that you were able to take this delicious, delicious cuisine that may have never been exposed to Omaha or to these people. And now they're enjoying it because you put yourself out there and you made it happen. I, when I saw that happening in the restaurant, I mean, I was, I was speechless. I mean, that was that moment when I felt like, a, yeah, it seems like I'm probably doing something right. Okay. Yeah. That's how it felt. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting again. I mean, to see customers every day coming to the restaurant and trying something new. I think that that is the whole idea. I mean, like trying one way or another to motivate and just to have a bite and try a different sauce or try a different dish that they usually don't do. That was my goal when I opened the Hunger Block. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned the giant milkshakes. Yeah. I think <laughs> when most people think of the Hunger Block, that is the first thing that comes to their mind because these things are massive. They're, they come in like a giant glass and there's just stuff spilling out of them. Ice cream, there's cookies like on the side, there's ice cream <laughs> sandwiches on top. They are truly just like, I mean, they can probably feed like a family of four just right there themselves. You mentioned that that is something that you had growing up, but I'm assuming it didn't look like that. Where did the idea for the milkshakes come from? You know what? It's a, it's a, it's a compilation of, of different ideas and different places. I mean, there's other, uh, if you check, I mean, in Minnesota, for example, there's another restaurant that it does something similar to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're necessarily not Venezuelan. And as I said, I mean, it's, uh, it's food that we grew up eating. I mean, we always try to be very creative on how we serve our food. But we can, I cannot take credit that I was the person who kind of really <laughs> created this. Yeah. I think that it's been, everybody has done a little bit and we developing what we have right now. The whole, I, when we were going to open the restaurant, we, we run a few tests and we, re, we re, really didn't know how the milkshake was going to look uh, until the end. Uh, and if you notice, we have different people making milkshakes at right. the restaurant and they have their own style, uh-huh. and that's what I love about it. That's why I call it the, the ever-changing milkshake. I mean, people come. One day they can have a, a, a ice cream sandwich. The next day they can have a donut. Then the day after they can have a big cookie. I mean, it's like <laughs> we try to make it as creative and kind of change things around as, as, you know, as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned you had, you know, a little concern about whether people would accept the restaurant or whether they would even be willing to try the food. Did you see the milkshakes as a way to at least get people in the door and attract them because a milkshake is something they're familiar with? It's something they can see on social media and be like, oh, hey, that's really interesting. And then once they're in the door and they try the food, then they like the food and then they come back for the food. But the milkshake was kind of like the gateway. Was that part of the strategy at all? No, we didn't strategize it that way. Okay. Uh, We wanted to kind of have a really cool idea and... uh, Nobody was really doing it in the city, and we put our kind of own staple I mean, on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, about the food, I knew that the food was going to be tasty. How much people were going to like it, uh, I didn't know. I mean, I, I didn't know at that point. Realistically, what it happened is that the people started coming, and it's just it's what you just described. 
people started coming for the milkshake because right. they're kind of very friendly, like a social media, fr social media friendly is how I would call it. Uh -huh. Very Instagramable. Yeah, it's, <laughs> everybody started, started taking pictures and posting and kind of created that momentum for the restaurant. And yeah, the people were coming, people were trying food to say, okay, well, let's go and try these crazy milkshakes and then let's uh, order something to eat before then. And they try the food and they got they got hooked. I mean, they got hooked. Yeah, they they love it. They understood. They understood the food. They they like it. I mean, they come and support. I mean, I cannot ask for anything better. In the beginning, it wasn't the main idea to target it that way, but I can deny that everything ended up working as you just described. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Now I want to get a little bit into your background uh, as a chef and a restaurateur. Uh, you mentioned you're originally from Venezuela. You came to the States in, correct me if I'm wrong, but you came to the States in 2002. How on earth do you go from Venezuela to Omaha, Nebraska, right in the middle yeah, of America? That, that is a common question. I came to study English. I, I did a research being in Venezuela. I'm, I'm an accountant. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I did until right before, the day before moving to Omaha. I was doing an account. I was working in my family's accounting firm and multiple companies that I was working for. And... Uh, I moved here just to study English and go back home. Uh, that was it. That my wow. plan was six months, and obviously in six months you don't learn another language. Uh -huh. Whoever says something different is lying. <laughs> uh, it takes a lot more. It's uh -huh. hard to understand. You need to learn the culture. You need to understand how to behave I mean, in, in where you're living. You, it's, it's a lot more than just learning a few words and putting it together. Uh, that's kind of my, my, my intake about moving here. And, uh, and yeah, I ended up moving to Omaha. I was a server at España mm -hmm. after a few years. And then I had the opportunity to take over and run the restaurant. Uh, and I did it. And here we are now. So wait, I want to get into that gap there because there's a big gap because starting to wait tables it, somewhere and then owning the restaurant. It's a, it's a long story, but yeah, let's go through. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, just, just tell me where that progression come from. Cause clearly you, you, you know, you said you were studying accounting, then you wanted to learn English, like being a restaurateur was not on your mind. Did you just catch the bug as you were at España? <laughs> no. Um, that's why I said it's, it's a long story. I never thought that I was going to end up owning restaurants. Yeah. That wasn't my plan when I moved to the States. But I was lucky enough to be raised by somebody, my dad, of course, and my mom, that they gave me every opportunity that I was, that they were able to afford and give me, they, they did. And one of them was going and eating in restaurants. My dad was a guy that he was uh, very open-minded, very well. Uh, it was a people, I mean, his people skills were amazing. I mean, he got along with everybody. Everybody loved him. And uh, we, I used to go to restaurants and people used to take amazing care of us. Um, kind of at the point that we kind of even spoil, feel spoiled I mean, in certain places. Mm -hmm. uh, Another coincidence is that working in accounting when I'm 16 years old, before going to college, I worked for I started working for my dad. And the first uh, bookkeeping job that I did, it was a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you never, when you are 16 or even when you are 24, a lot of times it's hard to know what you want to do in life. Mm -hmm. You just, uh, I moved here hoping that I was going to, you know, find an opportunity, uh, hoping that I was going to be able to learn the language, 
uh, which is not as easy as people think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, was uh, it was an opportunity. I knew how to run businesses. I, I was an accountant for an international company, for a Mexican company for, for a couple of years. So I started working very young and I acquired a lot of experience. And uh, I had a really good idea how to run businesses. I mean, since I was a young guy. I remember working for the former owner of España when they approached to him and said, like, hey, I know that you're tired of yeah. working at the <laughs> restaurant because it's, it's what it takes. Um, why you don't let me run your place? I can run the office. I'm an accountant. I can kind of organize everything for you. And no, my intention is no bad mouth him whatsoever. It's just he said, I don't think that you're capable to do it. Oh. And uh, he was wrong. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, you know, hey, he, it was a 50 50 chance. Right. Uh, he thought at that point that I wasn't ready for it and, and I don't have anything against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, that was an extra motivation that I got him into continue moving along. Working at the restaurant, I met somebody, a, a, a customer, that uh, he ended up becoming a, an investor at, at, uh, at, at España when we did all the transition and uh, he ended up like going away later on, so I took over pretty much I mean, the whole restaurant. That's how it happened. I mean, the story, the details, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long, long story, but you know, in the big picture, that's kind of basically what happened. And since then, of course, I had a lot of doubts. I mean, you mentioned that I'm a chef. I'm not a chef. I'm, I'm a line cook. That's how, what I consider myself. Oh, okay. I learned, I didn't go to, to culinary. I just learned cooking, burning my hands from my employees, because I needed to save my business. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't rely on having a chef cooking my food. I needed to be the one understanding the front of the restaurant and the back of the restaurant, which is a kitchen, to be able to run the, the place. Um, and that's how I got involved I mean, in the kitchen. I started cooking, and a few weeks later, I was the main person doing all the prep of the restaurant and cooking the toughest like, part of the, of the food. That's incredible. How do you do that? I mean, to when, you, when you don't have a choice, you do what you need to do. <laughs> and and when you're cooking, these are these are just recipes that that you knew from growing up that that had stayed with you. Or are well, you inventing I mean, your own? If we go to the back of España, I learned how to cook. I mean, that food, right? And I, of course, I mean, I got multiple books. I kind of trained myself for it. I educated myself. I mean, for that. But once we move alone and decide to open the hunger block, those are recipes. I, before opening the restaurant, I called my mom and said, "Hey, mom, <laughs> hey, how do you remember? How do you used to make this uh, soup? How do you make used to make them I in these these empanadas?" And she gave me the recipes. And uh, and I've done, as I said, a lot of research. I understand the food. I mean, what, how it should taste, what ingredients we need to do. And along all these years, I had the opportunity to work with amazing chefs, and I I learned. I'm always watching. I'm always paying attention to what they're doing. I learn how to uh, utilize the product better. I, I try to kind of find ways to kind of make things work. That's, that's me. See, I think that that is such a great perspective that you have right there because as I've talked to more chefs and interviewed more chefs, even the, the two that were just honored by the James Beard Foundation, Ben Maids and Dave Utterback, they are two of the people who've told me specifically like, they needed to learn that they didn't know everything and they're constantly learning. They're constantly trying to figure out more, even though they're some of the best, not just even in the city, but I would say in America and they're constantly learning, like just having that open mindset that you don't know everything and and there's always more to learn. I think that that's so 
important to being successful really in any walk of life, but especially in the restaurant business. The, the, the restaurant industry changes. Yeah. Uh, and it changes fairly quick. Uh, the type of restaurant that is successful today is not the same restaurant that is running six months later. Mm -hmm. Is how aggressive you need to be and how you need to adjust to changes. Um, big part of, of that is being open-minded, educating yourself, learn. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to details. I mean, that those are the things that makes a place successful mm -hmm. and that makes you do understand the industry. It's a very challenging industry. I have a lot of friends that come to me and say, like, hey, Carlos, you know what? I'm thinking about opening a restaurant. And they're going to laugh when they listen to this. But I said, like, you know what? If you have the time to, and the effort, I mean, and to put, and all the effort that you need to put into a restaurant, I will say move along. <laughs> I, I, otherwise, I will tell you, tear down your kitchen. Build the biggest kitchen you can do at your house and bring all your friends every weekend and cook for them. Because uh, once you make the, the decision to open a restaurant, uh, your life changes mm -hmm. completely. Mm -hmm. You devote your life to your customers and your employees. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how it is. So you need to sacrifice family time. You need to sacrifice uh, your own time. You need to start waking up earlier. Try to can extend them in your days. You cannot take as many days off as you want when people are uh, celebrating your working. So it's uh, people don't realize it until they're in, and uh, and that happened to me. I said like, well, I work at the restaurant. I kind of understand how it is. It's a completely different life working for a restaurant than actually owning a restaurant. Yeah, I think that there's this very idyllic view of owning a restaurant where it's just like oh it's so happy we open at noon and then we serve people until eight o'clock and then we go home and people don't think about the prep and they don't think about all the expenses behind they don't think about ordering food they don't think about all these dozens of things i think you know they just see you know on the food network a a personality parachutes in for a day and they show them cooking food in the back of the kitchen by themselves. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, look how fun that is. But there's so much more that goes into it that people don't understand. It's uh, it's fun. I can't deny that part. Yeah. yeah the industry is fun. You, you get to meet a lot of great people, but, and customers and they become your friends and your family one way or another. It's an, it's a very special place to, to interact. I mean, with, with, with friends and, and, and customers, but, what people don't realize is that other side of the business. Just to serve, and I give it this as a probably the easiest way to understand. The water that we serve on the table right when you see it is mm -hmm. something already planned. So mm -hmm. in the water, which is the simplest moment or the simplest detail that we need to go and bring when somebody sits at the table, is already planned. So just imagine putting that that the drinks need to come out on time, that the food needs to come out on time, that you need to double check that the people are happy, that you're not missing any other detail. I mean, there's, it gets more and more and more complicated. My idea here is not talk about the saddest part or the tough part of the industry, but there is, I think that there's a, it should be a, 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 an opening conversation about all the sacrifices that we make mm -hmm. and how we in the industry are target by social media a lot of times. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't know all the sacrifices, as I said, that it takes me to run a restaurant. Yeah, and, and I'm not asking you to talk about the negative parts of it. I just, I think it's it's important for people to understand because like you mentioned, so many people, especially if they go have an experience, not even a bad experience, but one that they didn't expect, they'll, they'll go and leave a bad review or whatever, but they don't understand everything 
that goes into making that meal, everything that goes into serving that meal. And I think if they did, they would be a lot, they would show a lot more grace. And so that's something that I've tried to highlight on this podcast by talking to different chefs. Yeah, no, I'm going to tell you this other side of the story. And sure. that's why I love talking about this topic in particular. Yeah. Um, we, the reason why, and this is why we love this industry and we appreciate the customer coming to the restaurant is that they could buy a cooking book, they can have a friend coming home and they can kind of cook for themselves a meal. Mm -hmm. They decide to go to a restaurant to be taken care of. That is the other side of the, of the coin. I told you first my side of the coin, but this is the other side of the coin. And we as a restaurant tours or restaurant owners, I mean, our responsibility is to bring to them the best experience that we can do. Mm -hmm. So it's, I understand the sacrifices that we need to make to get up there. And I, and I understand that the customer comes to me expecting that they're going to be taken care of. So my, my only kind of interesting part of what I manage is that a lot of, I mean, sometimes I mean, the customer can be probably a little unfair. And obviously we as a, as a restaurant tours and people, we make mistakes, of course. We're human beings. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it's uh, that's the beauty of it. There's two coins and all responsibility as a restaurant owners is, of course, I mean, to bring I mean, food to the table and do it I mean, the, the proper way. Mm -hmm. And that's what we aim for. What is the best part about being a restaurateur? Interacting with people, getting to know people, having regular customers or having them to come twice, three times, four times and believe in what you believe one day. The whole idea beside restaurants is start one day, start with a, with a dream. That's how everything starts. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, to see that from the dream, from serving the food and having customers, having a good time serving, it's, it's amazing. That is the beauty of it. It's probably even addictive. I mean, you see restaurant owners opening one restaurant, then go to a second restaurant, a third restaurant, because that is kind of the motivation. It's a little addictive to kind of, okay, well, I want to open something like this and this is what I want to give to my customers. Uh -huh. That's, that is the dream. That's what we love to do. Yeah. I wish that everyone right now could just see like the smile and the passion that Carlos <laughs> is speaking with, because it's just like inspiring. I want to go open a restaurant except <laughs> for, for all the reasons you just told me not to. It's, it's, it's pure care. Yeah. If, I mean, you have to be a people's person. You have to care about people. And that's what I learned when I was a kid. I was treated that way. I went to that restaurant where they make, they make you feel good when they, they serve the food with love. I mean, that is one of the ingredients and that's a talk that I have with all my employees. The only ingredient that you that you as a person can put in, in the dish all the time is your love, is your passion for it. And people taste it. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned as a restaurateur, with a constantly changing food and restaurant landscape, you have to be able to, to make pivots and make adjustments when you see necessary. So mm -hmm. you mentioned you originally bought Espana. You opened Little Espana. Now both of those locations have changed. The one in Benson which was Espana, is now Acarant, and the Hungerbach moved into Little Espana. Obviously, both those restaurants are doing very well, so it appears those decisions were sound, but how tough for that, or how tough for you was it to make that decision to close those Espana restaurants? That's been the hardest decision that I made yeah. probably in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still passionate, I mean, for Spanish food, Mediterranean food, and I don't lose the hope to probably reopen one of those at some point mm -hmm. in my life um, under a completely different, like, a structure, I would say. I mean, it was structured, structured from completely different, but 
But um, I believe that I'm gonna I'm gonna probably it's kind of I don't I'm gonna explain you this and okay. the, and this is something really important has been probably one of the key things in my life. Uh, once I started embracing change, I started doing better. Mm -hmm. When I took over España, I felt that well, if God put me here and opened this opportunity and these doors for me, this is what I should do in life, and I honor. Uh, that for many years, I worked really hard and the restaurant did fairly well, but all the sacrifice that I was putting into, uh, it was, I, at some point I said like, well, probably I need to kind of change years. I mean, go back to accounting or shut down restaurants and open new ideas. Mm -hmm. I think that it's time for it. I, I work and devoted, my, devoted myself for like around 10 years to España mm -hmm. and as I said, the restaurant did well, but I, I wanted a little bit more. I wanted to do something different as well. But I always was scared. Uh, the first step on changing the way I used to see life and business was shutting down España. I shut down España, uh, reopened as a, as a Quran with Chef Ben Mates, which is my, uh, it's been my best friend for 17 years. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a line cook at España, and I was a server. That's how everything started. That's insane. Okay. And yeah. uh, then when I embraced change, and, and of course, I rolled the dice with best chef, in my opinion, one of the best chefs in the city, respecting everybody else. There's amazing chefs in, in Omaha. Um, I I noticed that, you know, change me was good for me. Change was uh, uh, bring me new ideas. It motivated me in different ways. Uh, and I said, like, you know what? The change was... Better than I thought. Uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I said, like, well, I mean, Little España does well in that location. I love the restaurant. I have a lot of passion for it. But let's kind of shut this one down, too, and see what I can come up with. Uh -huh. And checking all my notes and thinking what I was going to do, I met my business, one of my business partners, uh, Rockney. He's from Venezuela as well. And, uh, and you know, he, he got a few ideas in mind. I... I didn't buy the whole idea in the beginning. I was like, mm, I don't know. I don't think that this will work. I mean, the 100% uh, Venezuelan restaurant, don't, I don't think that it will work here in Omaha. Uh, let's kind of change this around. And then it, the, the ideas started coming. Boom, boom. Okay, let's do it more Latin American. Let's uh, bring all my friends, I mean, from Argentina that live in the city, and let's have them to try the food that I want to make to kind of honor their culture. I want to do the same with the Peruvians. I want to do the same with the Colombians. And that's how I built the restaurant. Once all the recipes and all the food and everything was approved by the people that I brought, is when I said, okay, we're ready to open. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's kind of how, how things happen. Now, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about how the restaurant scene is always changing. And I think that that's specific to location as well. How have you seen the Omaha restaurant scene kind of evolve in recent years and what made you think that it was ready for the hunger block? You know what? It's, uh, I cannot tell you that I felt, I would lie if I say that I thought that it was a moment for hunger, for hunger block. Yeah. I just took the risk and I did the same with, uh, we did the same Ben and me with, uh, with our Quran. Mm -hmm. We didn't know. For the tasting menu. We yeah. didn't know that the tasting menu happened. The decision of putting the tasting menu, which is the most successful part of, of our menu, is uh, 
it happened a few days before we opened. When Ben sit down one day and say like, uh, they, they call me and the people in the industry knows me like El Jefe, like the boss. Uh-huh, yeah. And my employees and, and my business partners and everybody calls me that way. And he approached and said like, hey, Jefe. And say like, what? what do you think if we serve a tasting menu? And I turn around and say like, you're crazy. <laughs> but I, uh, he proved me, he proved me wrong. I, I thought that it was going to be a lot for the kitchen. And it's a lot for the kitchen. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's a tough uh, uh project to really get going and kind of make it evolve and change all the time it's, it's tough but they they do an amazing job i mean we got a great great staff in both restaurants i mean it's people motivated people inspired by by ben inspired by by me one way or another and uh and yeah people who believe in us and that's kind of that's the biggest responsibility they have uh, I actually, I reached out to Ben before this episode and asked him if there's anything I should ask you about. And he wanted me to ask you about your nickname, Jefe, which obviously that means boss in Spanish. But when did that one start to stick? Or where did that come about from? Wow, probably eight years ago, I would it, say. Yeah? Yeah, eight years ago. Just out of nowhere, people started calling you that? Or was there something that happened? I don't know. I, I'm trying to remember and go back who started calling me El Jefe. And I think that it, I think it was... Ben and his brother team. Yeah, I think they're the ones who started calling me Hefe, and I'm okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll go with it. Yeah, yeah. it's catchy. <laughs> gotcha. So uh, transitioning back to the hunger block, real quick here. What's your favorite dish on the menu? They all my favorites. Yeah, it's complicated because I'm gonna tell you why. Empanadas always kind of define my childhood. Mm-hmm. So every single empanadas, I, I love them. I, uh, they're tasty, and we make it exactly the way you will eat those empanadas by the coast, probably drinking some uh, fresh juice or squeezed juice or just a beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exactly how I remember eating it. And if I go to the other end, I the pabellón criollo is the, the main dish in Venezuela. It's... It's attached to my heart. Uh, I love the bandeja paisa. That is the main Colombian dish. I think it's an amazing, amazing dish. I love the parrilla mixta. That is a big meat platter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I mean, honestly, uh, the dishes, a lot of the dishes, the majority of them were created up there. Like, okay, what, what, what do I used to eat and love? I mean, when I went to this country, because I had the opportunity to travel a little bit before moving to the States. <laughs> And uh, it's like, okay, I remember this dish in this place, eating it this way. This is what I want to make a, a replica of. This is what I want to kind of have people enjoy here. Um, that's kind of how the whole menu was created. There's a new item on the um, appetizer side that is the pastelitos. Mm-hmm. Uh, pastelitos is like a kind of an empanada, like a round empanada, homemade, that it has... Uh, rice, uh, ground beef, potatoes, and then the full name of that dish is and pastelitos andinos. Andinos means that it's from the Andes. The Andes starts in Venezuela and go all the way down in South America. Potato grows everywhere. Ri- I mean, rice grows, I mean, pretty much mean everywhere in, in the area. So that's kind of what they used to make to, because they weren't able to afford to have a, probably a full uh, pastelito stuff with meat, okay? 
Uh, then they decided to kind of mix it with rice and potatoes, and it's, an, it's a delicious bite. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly how I remember driving in the Andes, stopping in a little house with a little fryer with a beautiful view yeah. and just biting into it. That's so cool. That's exactly how I saw every single of those dishes is where they took me back to where I come from. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to ask you about, I, I love everything at the Hunger Block. Everything that I've had is tremendous. And people should go try it. They should go try the milkshakes. Like all that stuff is good to get people in the door. I have to ask you about the guastacaca because this sauce, it is like the greatest condiment I've ever tasted. It's one of those things where I'll get an arepa, get an empanada, something like that. And I'll, you know, squeeze a little guastacaca on there, take a bite. And then just like empty the rest of the bottle on the arepa because it's so good. So like without giving me like, you know, the, the trade secrets and everything, can you kind of like, Peel back the curtain and explain why this sauce is so addicting. You know what? It's, I don't know. I mean, do you ask me? I don't know. It's how we eat up there. It's uh, avocado, of course. I mean, it's like a, one way or another, it's, it's like a guacamole into a sauce. That's kind of basically mm-hmm. what it is. If you want me to find an easy way to describe it, that's what it is. And uh, it's just pure love. It's, it's a bite with, we try to I mean, of course, I mean, the, 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 tar- the challenge, I mean, on those sauces is to really season them correctly because they can change. I mean, you have an avocado today and the avocado probably will be different tomorrow. I mean, you, the, the, bo- the box of uh, avocado you're getting today, probably you need to use them today. They don't work for tomorrow. So it's a very particular, very particular process. But it's just if you ask me what we put in the restaurant and, and that applies to any other my restaurant, it's pure love. Mm-hmm. It's care. Is nothing gets better than a guacamole, you know, spread like sauce. I mean, that's better than than that. I, I don't think that nothing. Amen. I'm right <laughs> there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, as we wind down here, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about something I hinted at earlier. But um, like we, um, the chef at Alcarant, Ben Maids, was nominated. Uh, as a James, as a semifinalist for the James Beard Award um, a few weeks back, what was that like for you? Not only just as you know a restaurateur who owns that restaurant, but as Ben's friend. Like, what was it like to get that news? Mm, it's. I'm gonna put it this way. I during all these years, I've been trying my hardest to be Ben's uh, first or best advocate. Mm-hmm. I never, never doubted about his, about his skills and his willingness and his uh, sacrifice, I mean, for, for the way he does. He deserves it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, like, w- when, you, when you heard that, like, what, what kind of emotion did that Man, stir I st- up? I started crying. Really? I started crying. That's amazing. Did did you call him right away? He called me because I didn't. I hadn't checked. I mean, the social media yet. And he called me. It's like, Hefe. I said, like, I have uh, goosebumps. Do you see the news? And I said, like, I know what happened. We got nominated. It's like, what? We got nominated. I said, like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I started crying. Wow, that's so cool. So, is is there anything? As we wind down here, is there anything about the hunger block that we haven't touched upon yet that, that you want to 
make a note of before we get out of here? You know what? To be honest with you, no. I I think that one of the most important things that you can expect, I mean, to hear or that you want to hear, not even expect, is that people care. Either the people that run a restaurant care. And that's that's what we do. Uh, it goes, I mean, from... In a restaurant, it's as important the person that does the dishes as the person that welcomes the people, as the people who cook the food, and the people who run it. Everybody's important. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I that I work really hard on is to, and, and the whole management, not just me, everybody in Hunger Block, in Akoran, is to, to make sure that, you know, they are giving their 120%, but they're motivated. We try to take care of our employees, and we try to kind of, motivate them to, you know, to do better every day. My, my goal as a, as a boss, kind of in a way, is to motivate my people in a way that the next day they decide to leave the restaurant, they go to a better job. Mm-hmm. Nobody's tied up to us to stay with us I mean, for, for any time. What we want is to kind of, one way or another, educate and train people to do better in life. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, I can tell you very much, you know, when, when Carlos talks about the care, I can tell you just from listening to and and watching him talk for the last 35, 40 minutes, whatever this has been, there's a lot of care that goes into this. And more importantly, from eating his food, I can tell you there's a lot of care that goes into it. So uh, quit listening to this silly podcast. Get out to Acarant, get some awesome food. Get out to Hunger Block, try some awesome Latin American cuisine or if you're feeling crazy, go for one of those giant milkshakes. See if you can take it down. Carlos, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you so much for inviting me. I highly appreciate it. It's been a great opportunity. All right. Well, thank you very much, Omaha, for listening to another episode of Restaurant Hopping. Thanks for eating with me. A Parkville Media Production.